Bear Down Bears fans, Pat the Designer, Courtney Cronin in the building. The Chicago Bears podcast is here on a Tuesday. And listen, uh, Justin Fields technically still hasn't been cleared, but he's been throwing the football. We've got a uh, floose talk all over the place. That's what I'm dubbing it at this point, right? When you can see something, but he says it's not real, floose talk. That's what I'm calling Is that acceptable? We, we good with that? Yeah, I was, how was it um, explained to me the other day? Are you fluent in floose speak, floose talk, flusology? Like yeah. there's there's a bunch of these terms floating around. And honestly, I think all of them are acceptable considering you go into these press conferences, you ask questions, and then the answers you get require a lot of reading between the lines and a lot of deciphering. So I would say that I am fluent in floose talk. Yeah, it, it, I mean, listen, like my favorite tweet of the year by far is Nick Moreno uh, from CHGO tweeting out exactly what Matt Eberflus said. And as you read it, you're just like, what is this? What yeah. What is these are words that technically go together. It felt like you ever seen that picture that like you can't identify one thing in the picture and it just makes your head start hurting. That's what it feels like reading uh, reading those comments on paper. But uh, yeah. hey, listen, they might be able to change the narrative on this team. There's seven weeks left in the season. We'll talk about that. O-line movement could be coming. Let's hope so. It's at a certain point. And one of the biggest questions we need answered all that more in today's episode of Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Leave a five-star review. You know what to do. Courtney. Let's jump into this because we've talked about flus. We've talked about the flus talk and everyone's harping on what is Justin Fields going to do? What can Fields do to finish out the season? He's got to do this. I think we need to take a second and actually look at this coaching staff. You wrote a very excellent article about Montez Sweat and what the defense has going. Can Matt Eberflus change the narrative on his future with the Chicago Bears if this defense continues to make strides? I, I think it's possible. I think anything's possible. So anybody who believes that his fate has already been written is wrong. Like there's no declaration about next year at all right now from people I've spoken with inside Hallis Hall. And I know that vote of confidence that he got from Ryan Poles two or three weeks ago, yeah. you know, yeah, the deadline when he was talking about Montez Sweat and that was the same day that David Walker got fired. And it was just like, all right, do you still believe that you have the right guy for the job? Because there's all of this other stuff that's going on amid all of the losing and polls in the vote of confidence that he gave sometimes called the dreaded vote of confidence. Like I'm not entirely sure what else he was supposed to say. And I've said this at every turn that if he goes in there and starts dogging on the head coach or like undercutting him in any ways, then you've created another storyline for yourself. And look, this team has enough of those to go around without actually like perpetuating them by themselves. Like they can, yeah. they can create enough. They can have drama created ad ad nauseum this year. That's honestly how much it's happened. But I don't like. I've been asked this a lot. I don't think that that means anything just yet about oh, Matt Eberflus is safe for two thousand. And 24, and I know that the Bears kept John Fox probably a year longer than most people would have liked after, you know, going into that third season yeah. and, you know, the writing felt like it was on the wall. And then we know about Mark Tressman and how disastrous his tenure was here and how short the the leash was for him to get fired after two seasons. So, like, I I don't see it. Like, I don't see there's any, like, one grandiose thing Matt Eberflus can do. The way it's been described to me is that the adapting and adjusting of the head coach 
is what the Bears want to see, like continuing on this trend. Look, he guided that, like, like him or not, think he's a good coach or not. He kept this team on track when, you know, there was a lot going on where you could get guys at a very early point of the season making business decisions and kind yeah. of mailing it in. I mean, when you go 0 and 4 to start the year and then you have a short week in Washington, your wide receiver is MIA because the team told him to stay away. There's like all this off-field chaos. Like the team showed fight. They won that game. They clawed back to get their first win and then you fast forward a couple of weeks with what happened against, you know, the Saints. So it was a one-score game for them. In, it was a one-score game, and it was a close game that the Bears felt like they were in control of in those moments. And if you're Ryan Poles, if you're George McCaskey, you say, okay, we see that this team is still fighting, that they haven't given up. Like, yeah. obviously, that's going to have some effect or be an effect by the head coach in some form or fashion. But I, I think that this comes down to – what are the Bears' goals with the roster in 2024? And do they feel like the coaching staff is capable of developing the players that they have in here currently and also those that they might bring in? So you can't make a true evaluation on Matt Eberflus yet until you see what happens with Justin Fields these final seven games. Frankly, I think a lot of these things go hand in hand because – and Luke Getze, throw Luke Getze into that mix too. because he, He's not immune to this, and he knows that. Um, you know, he, he, the way he talks about kind of like the roller coaster that the season has been and, you know, the ups and downs and the highs and lows and seeing the improvements that they have made from last year to this point, you know, is he safe? Not by any stretch right now. I, I mean, I'm not saying like one way or the other. I'm just saying he has a lot to prove. It's not like, oh, it's a given. He'll be the offensive coordinator next year. Yeah. We're talking about Matt Eberflus's job security. We're talking about the rest of his staff, offensive coordinator included. So that's that's what Ryan Poles has to look at here, the final seven games, where it's not a situation that you have a three and seven football team, playoffs are out of reach. All right, let's just mail it until we get to 2024. Much different than last year at this time, where they weren't expected to win. They're probably not going to be expected to win a lot of these games, but they definitely need to show that they're on the right track. Otherwise, you have to start over early in January next year. Well, I think that's the interesting part, too, right? I can look at Matt Eberflus's scenario and go, listen, the defense that he's trying to run, there is still a very key piece missing. Not having that three technique, not being able to get pressure with four, mm -hmm. basically is a death sentence to this defense. And guess what? For most of the season, we can look at the numbers, bend, break, whatever it is, and say, let's defense, if, if the offense doesn't give up a turnover here, if, if you don't give up a pick six here, if you don't give up a fumble touchdown here, they're only giving up 21 to 24 points most of these weeks. Now, you got your butts kicked by the Chargers. But for the most part, you kind of look at the games and you go, I can see why Flus might be having issues with that. And he lost his D.C. to start the season. He wasn't supposed to be calling defense i love the fact that you brought up getsy though because on the offensive end we came into this season saying you have a wealth of riches yeah what are you going to do with them and we haven't seen that offense show that consistency we've seen a couple of flash weeks of course justin fields getting hurt getting hurt really changes that but that vikings first half didn't leave us with anything to feel great about right and so i just i look at Luke Getze's scenario, and I'm like, could this actually be a Lovey Smith situation moving forward? Where, and I don't, I hope all of them are successful, but like, where Flus is doing a good enough job where we'll keep you around, he has to be changed. 
That's a good theory. It's one that I'm sure they're considering right now when you have to look at all the options. Because if you fire a head coach, you're probably taking his whole staff with him Mm -hmm. because the new head coach that comes in is going to bring his people. That's just how it is. Um, You know, so rarely do you get coaches that get retained. It's usually like one or two. I've been a part of a few coach firings, and I've seen some coaches, you know, get like one or two, like a special teams coordinator, get kept on. And then the coach brings in his entire offensive staff, his entire defensive staff. There's all just like bottom line. There's very few holdovers, but like, I would think that if Matt Eberflus is gone after this season, that most of that majority of his staff would be barring what Justin Fields looks like these final seven games of the season. And he's very much tied. His success is very much tied to Luke Getze's success is very much tied to how Justin Fields does in the final seven games, because if this offense, and I'm not by any stretch delusional in thinking that it was perfect under Tyson Bajan. Like what, what did we really learn about the offense the last week against Carolina? Like they put up 16 points at one touchdown drive. The good thing is Tyson Bajan didn't turn the ball over positive no. after the team turned the ball over five times against the saints, him being responsible for four of those. But Outside of a couple throws, the one that sealed the game against, you know, to Mooney in the fourth quarter and the waning moments, like outside of that, this guy was, he was struggling. Like he was struggling throughout this game, but like yeah. there are positives that you can take away from how the offense looked those four games that you saw Tyson Bajant start and then seeing what it looks like. Does it regress with yeah. Justin Fields or does it like actually go up the other direction and they start building upon the last couple of weeks, building on the pass protection. You mentioned, you know, maybe Nate Davis comes back. What does yeah. that do to the offensive line combination? That's on the offensive coordinator, too, to figure out, you know, they're always talking about the best five. We got to get the best five up there up front. Well, how do you make that work when you now have a surplus of offensive linemen and who ends up going to the bench because of it? Like, that's an offensive coordinator decision as much as it is people, you know, who control game day actives and inactives, personnel people. So I I honestly look at Getze, it, it, like this might be this might be like the biggest storyline of all of this. Like, yeah. you know, because the, what does his offense look like because you can find in these final 7 games, is it the offense's issue or is it the quarterback's issue because we saw that with four games, hey, it Luke Getze looked more creative with his play calling. You had a quarterback who was willing to stay on script, to not try to make plays that, I mean, there were times absolutely he was forcing it, but not, you know, in the way that we've seen Justin Fields scramble and sometimes those are unsuccessful, but sometimes those can also break off a 50-yard gain. Right. Like, you had a quarterback who was not taking as many, like nearly as many sacks, who was able to get the ball out quickly. It just didn't, it just led to a 2-2 two and two record in that time frame. Can you see Getze pick up with that and ask Justin Fields to do similar things, build, you know, do the things that he wasn't doing with Justin Fields. Now that Fields is back in the things that really only Fields is capable of doing a lot of those broken plays and extending drives. And, and that's going to be a reflection like on what Luke Getze now asks Fields to do, knowing that we probably will see at least like a game or two of rust because he hasn't played since October 15th. Yeah. And it, it sucks because right. He, he comes back versus one of the highest powered offenses in the NFL mm-hmm. Uh, two weeks, uh, basically, right? It's it's Lions, Vikings, Lions again. So you don't even get a break uh, in there pretty much. But I think that you mentioned something very interesting, right? The sack numbers. This offensive line all of a sudden looked better. And the offensive line combination 
Um, I think it's probably one of the best we've seen with Tevin Jenkins and uh, uh, um, Darnell Wright on that right side. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I love what we've seen there, but there is an aspect of it that does go to the quarterback just saying, set hut. I know where my read is. That's not there. I'm on to this one. Make the throw. We've seen Justin Fields be the guy who will hold on to the football a lot. Mm -hmm. I think that that will be a serious question if all of a sudden he comes back and this offensive line just looks like it's falling off a cliff, right? Like the, the how quickly Tyson Bajent was willing to get the football out is something that I do think, right? When we kept hearing on, I was at Thursday night football that, oh, they want Justin Fields to watch this and see some of the things. And I think yeah, that, the that Sunday, was the Sunday night game against the Chargers. Sunday night the whole game, idea yeah. that like Fields could learn. So I personally, I didn't take anything from that comment. I just, there, they were at that point a two win football team. Yeah, like, yeah. You're a bad team and you have young players. Young players can learn from others around them. Like no one is, Justin's not immune to that. And I don't even no. think he would tell you that. Of course, that comes across because of the production meetings and everything else, like the staff is trying to throw fields under the bus. That is what some delusional Bears fans think. That's not how it was meant. I can tell you, I know that that is not how it was meant. Mm. And it's just it's just frustrating that like that became such a big storyline out of nothing, where you could tell the divide between people who really want Justin Fields to succeed yeah. almost at the cost of their own team doing well, which I think is just a bad way to be a fan. And I'm not a fan. So like, I'm not going to tell somebody how to fan, but like, come on, grow up. And yeah. I, I think that there when in, in these meetings and like over the course of the last couple of weeks, when Fields has not been able to play, there definitely have been times where I'm sure he's like, okay, like, look, Look at how Tyson's operating in this situation. Are there things I can do differently? He's a self-aware person. Like yeah. he's probably the most like self-aware person in that locker room. And I don't I don't think that there's anything negative with asking your quarterbacks to see what somebody did and then learn from it whether it's the starter or whether it's the division 2 backup. I I would I would be irritated if my quarterback felt that he was too good to take that piece from a guy, right? Like, listen, yeah, it's not Tom was, Brady or Aaron Rodgers, like Jesus Christ, like can we like not like act like Justin Fields has been anointed and like he has no no flaws in his game, none of this shit, and like that's just what drives me nuts about it yeah. because you're there's a section of people that heard that comment, and I know we're kind of going on a tangent here because that was too. That's weeks all right. Ago, People heard that comment and they went nuts for no yeah. reason, Pat. Like they were saying, like, oh, that's a slight on Justin Fields. No, it's not. That's common sense. And when I had a chance to talk with Andrew Ginoco about this last week, you know, the quarterback's coach just met with a couple of us last Tuesday and asked him how he took that comment. It can be as simple as everybody's watching a game in the hotel room before a game and they see a quarterback, they see an arm angle, and everybody's eyes are turning to, you know, what's going on on the TV. Like it's literally just stacking information and it's not an indictment on anyone. Justin yeah. Fields has been a starter here for three years. Very clearly he's done something right to have that job. I don't, I don't see what people are so up in arms about like, like the idea that, Oh, maybe there are some things he can see when he's not a part of this offense because of injury, he can see how it operates. And then when he comes back, Oh, these things worked. Maybe I can implement them in part of what I do to lead this offense. Like that's not, that's not controversial. I think people yeah. are to like, you must be bored. They're making shit up for no reason on that. 
Y'all got Courtney Blood hot out here, man. That's how that's how yeah, we get it down. Stupid. Like, I mean, it's just it's honestly delusional. Like, yeah. you don't have a Hall of Famer on a single Hall of Famer on this roster. Well, like, and even nobody, Hall of Famer, even Hall of Famers do that. Brett Favre had no idea what nickel was until he asked his backup quarterback. Yeah, nobody's immune to learning. Like I, the second you stop learning, the second you stop growing. So like yeah. just move on to the next thing because it, that's just so dumb to me that people got that frustrated about it. And I'll be curious when we actually get to talk to Justin again, because we've only talked to him once since the injury. Yeah. What did you learn these last four weeks? I mean, I'm sure you've been, he's been chomping at the bit to get back out there. He's a competitor. We know these things, but what did he learn about the way the offense operated when you saw a lot of RPOs against the new Orleans saints, where you saw like an influx of play action to get Tyson yeah. Bajan on the mood. Even when you saw Tyson Bajan discover that he had a set of wheels, like what did you learn about this offense that when you come back in, and no one has ever said anything to the contrary other than Justin is our starter. He's playing when he's back yeah. and when he's healthy. What can you what do you think you can build upon now that like they, you know, carry the baton the last four weeks to let you get healthy? It was definitely a media created quarterback controversy. And my favorite thing was every time you saw Tyson and Justin together, Justin was like the happiest for this guy. Or like Tyson had a bad game versus Saints. Justin's right there with him. So like it was. It was one of those where, like, this was a narrative that definitely was not inside the building that was definitely outside the building. Now, does that mean that it couldn't have become a narrative if Tyson goes out there and he laces 300 yards a game and two touchdowns, one under center? Sure, then it's a narrative. But it was definitely one where, like, there's somebody else under center. Uh-oh. And mm -hmm. what I love, and, and right, even that conversation on can he learn something from Tyson, I would hope so because I want Tyson to be his backup. I like what I like the transition from Tyson to Justin, Justin to Tyson, because they can do a lot of things, especially in that Saints game, right? Very similar if they need to. Tyson showed he can get out of trouble. So I actually like moving forward. If if this is the combination that sticks around, mm -hmm. I think the Bears would have one of those uh Lamar Jackson to Snoop Huntley type of situations where is it a is it a win-win situation? Well, no, our starter's not in there. But yeah. he can run a lot of the same things. It doesn't disrupt. You know how hard it is to find a good is. backup quarterback? Like, it is really hard. Take a look at, you know, the Dallas Cowboys with Cooper Rush and being able like that. Yeah. That was like lightning in a bottle that they caught when Dak went down with a thumb injury last season or two, yeah. or two seasons ago. And I so often – do the Bears want to ever go back to the situation that they had when Fields couldn't play last year against the Jets and it was Trevor Simeon getting hurt in warm-ups yeah. and Nathan Peterman just struggling to stay alive out there? No. Yeah. You, want to, you want to have a capable backup. And throughout all of this, I think that's one thing that they found, like that they don't they don't need to go searching every year for a different backup. to that You have somebody who was a developmental quarterback to begin with and he's played four and a half games for you. Like that's out of a bad situation came something pretty decent for the Bears that they can at least carry that. No matter what happens at quarterback elsewhere, they can at least carry that going into 2024. 100%. Let's keep it moving along here. Hard Rock Casino is the sponsor for this show in northern Indiana. You can see Blue October on November 30th at Hard Rock Live. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Now, here's a, a real question, right? We talked a little bit about some of the things we saw while Bajit was under center and can this Bears team continue to change the narrative with this offense? 
We talked a little bit about it feels like they got the right offensive line combination, but Nate Davis might be back. I love Tevin Jenkins on the right side. I loved it last season, but they wanted to go out and get a right guard so that Tevin can move back to left guard, gives you a little bit more stability. I understand the logic there. Do you move around what's already working to bring Nate Davis back in in the spot where he is most comfortable? I think he's only had one season playing left guard and it was sparingly it's tough and like i know what matt eberflus said on monday that everybody can play a multitude of positions like they cross chain guys at multiple positions for this very reason but it's god it's like it's twofold because the guy's been out since the minnesota game so he last played october 15th as well so it's been a month um do you put him back where he's most comfortable at right guard or do you say kind of like you know, tough shit a little bit. Like, Tevin's been playing great at this position. We don't want to keep moving guys around. Like, why move two spots instead of just one? We're going to put you at left guard. And, you know, if he scoffs at it, if he doesn't like the idea, frankly, too bad. Because, you know, the offense, this has been such a problem unit for this team that they have been trying to figure out. And honestly, the last couple of games, when they put Cody Whitehair back at left guard, they keep put Lucas Patrick back at center and they moved Tevin Jenkins over to right. Like it's, it's definitely been a better, the unit's been better. The right side of the offensive line has been really darn good. Look at where some of those runs from Deontay oh Foreman have gone um, when he's running to the right side of the line and when they're doing outside zone stuff. But I think for Nate Davis, like God, like I wouldn't want to be making this decision because it's a hard one. I've heard Tevin Jenkins say, that going from left to right is easier for him than going from right to left. Yeah. Okay, knowing that, do you then say, okay, well, this is probably what's best for him right now. Nate Davis, we're going to try you at left guard. What if he's terrible at left guard? What if he is struggling to get acclimated? He hasn't played in a month, so there's clearly going to be rust there. Do you platoon in with Cody White here? Like all of these <laughs> things that like, keep coming into into play. Like also, what do you do with Cody White here? Are you going to put him back at center? You're going to have him no. and Lucas? No, like it's- no. He doesn't play. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm fine with that. I love Cody. You've been a great bear. And you have a great, you have a really good situation and you have a great backup at that point. Like it's the best case scenario if that ends up being the case. But I don't, I, I, I just, I, I really have a hard time believing it's, it's fair. Number one, and life's not fair. We know that, but like the more you can do, honestly, the more penalized you get by like, okay, there's going to like move things around. I'm going to be the first guy to have to move over if that is Kevin Jenkins, but I'll be real. That's, that's probably like Justin coming back this week, more than likely seems like the biggest story. It is the biggest storyline, but more than likely he comes back. I I feel like Eberflus hinted at that last week that he probably would have been in a better position to play had that game been on Sunday. But um, now that he's got 10 days, the 10 days in between games, like that's the biggest storyline. But then it's the offensive line. And if Nate Davis can come back, I mean, we just heard he started running. Like that's what Eberflus said when I asked him about it last week. So does he need another week? Does it end up happening this week? What do you do with your running backs? Because like when I was watching Deontay Foreman leave the, when I was leaving the locker room, it wasn't just like a noticeable limp. It was like he couldn't walk. Like that was, mm. he was pretty messed up after that yeah. game. And I felt, I, you know, I mean, he, he, he did an awesome job again because we've had that conversation come up. Okay. When Khalil Herbert's able to come back, what does that do to Deontay Foreman in no way, shape or form should be Deontay Foreman be inactive, but he was on a bike yesterday at practice and hopefully whatever he did 
in that it means remember he went to the medical tent and there was no injury designation for yeah. him and he came back out and he played um he was limping like noticeable like like uh what's the word i'm looking for here like he was like physically you could tell okay that's not just a limp that's someone who's in pretty significant He's in pain, pain. Right yeah so hopefully for his sake he he doesn't have to it, it gets better by the time that they play on sunday but again like these are all like big picture things that end up being that end up affecting what goes on this weekend against Detroit. Yeah, it's it's the running back situation is probably the most interesting and the one you feel the worst about, right? Because I mean, it, at the end of the day, it is an interchangeable position based on the guys you put in front of them, right? Like the mm-hmm. the offensive line when it, like if Khalil Herbert comes back and he's able to go this week and he runs hard, guess what? He's the the flavor of the month this month, right? Like that's that's kind of how the running back position goes in the modern NFL. But mm. on the offensive line, you, you don't have that luxury, right? And, and to me, you have to ask yourself, would you rather be great at something or be good at a couple of things? Because, I mean, not to say that Cody Whitehair is winning any awards here, but he's been good at left guard. He's been, well, good stuff. He's been serviceable at left guard. Mm-hmm. On the yeah. right side, you've been great. Over the last two weeks. Yeah. Over the last, well, when did they make the switch there? When did they make the switch? That was three weeks ago, right? Where they put Tevin on the right side, I believe. It was after, so it was one. After after Vegas, I think, right? Washington was week five, and then Minnesota was week six. That's when they had the switch. That's when Nate got hurt. That's when Nate Davis got hurt. Yeah, it was week six because that's when Patrick, or Lucas Patrick went in because Cody Whitehair got benched in the third quarter. So, yeah, yeah, week Week seven. Week, Week seven, seven is when they made that switch. So you're you're talking about now, I mean, like, that would be three weeks of seeing something elite. I mean, like, mm-hmm. when you see them run on the right side, I'm terrified. I feel bad for defenders because both Tevin and Darnell can run, and they both have no problems just like, pancake block, here it comes. You're about to die. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's one of those, like, would you rather be just good there? Because Nate Davis isn't going to give you that. he's fine in pass blocking. He's actually pretty good in pass blocking. I'll give him that on the right side, but in the run blocking game, he's not going to give you what Tevin gives you there. That's a tough scenario to be in. And right then all of a sudden to just go, all right, Nate, well, now you're going to be the left guard because we paid you. So you're going to be out here. The one thing I guarantee he's going to play when he's ready to go. Yeah. I mean, so we paid you. So you're going to be on the left side. I think there's like 2019. He played left guard for three games. He's it's that's the reason that they made the switch initially when they signed him as a free agent. Like almost like within like a couple minutes of them signing him, they're like they called Tevin Jenkins and said you're moving to the left side of the offensive line. And yeah, you know, I, it is it's a bet it's a good position if you're somebody who can it's a good position to be in if you're somebody who can be that versatile because that helps with job security. And remember, Tevin Jenkins now is um you know he'll be up for a contract at some point soon so this only increases his value and we were talking about this the other night on sports zone like the guys that you pay like i know we're talking about jalen johnson and no mooney's name gets in the mix but somebody that you should be able to extend soon will be tevin jenkins going into um what is it year four for him in 2024 like he should absolutely be I mean, he's a success story for this team, considering he was a left tackle and he gets moved around and you finally find the fit. And you know, this guy is so versatile. You can play him at both guard spots. So I, I, again, I really think that they need to make sure that they're making the right move here. And if somebody has been comfortable for a couple of weeks, you run the risk of throwing that continuity off up front. So I would say 
if Nate Davis is like amenable to to moving and, and even if he's not like you still have to kind of be like all right this is what's best for the football team and the players have to understand that too so when you get a chance to see during practice this week where guys where do guys look like they're like during individual where does it look like they're lining up that will tell us a lot of what we think this offensive line combination would be like but I really wouldn't be surprised to get Nate Davis up to speed if if they keep Nate if they keep Tevin Jenkins at right guard if there's a platoon between Cody Whitehair and Nate Davis until Nate Davis is ready to play, that would not. That's the way that they've been handling offensive yeah. line injuries and people easing themselves back in. We saw it with Larry Borum um, and Dar- and um, Braxton and, Jones. Braxton Jones recently. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so interesting too because the conversation on paying Tevin is one that I think most Bears fans wouldn't have been thinking we were coming into this season because of the injury history, right? First yeah. year play six games year two misses four games four games i mean for an offensive lineman stuff that happened this offseason yeah everything that happened this offseason but he's just he's so talented he's such a talent on the offensive line that i don't think the chicago bears can actually afford to lose him in this offseason especially when they're going to be like they're going to have to go find a center in free agency (laughs) and you know and who knows what happens here with like nate davis going forward and you know like it, it obviously for a lot of different reasons hasn't worked out the way they expected it to this year, but like eventually there will be outs in that contract. Like how do they want to play this? Like certainly center is one of the biggest positions of need going forward. If that's free agency, if that's the draft, but then do you use a draft pick to go get more guard depth, the actual guard depth that you feel like can develop into starting players? Like it's never a bad thing to be prepared considering this is a team that thought, okay, for once, we're not going to have all of the issues with continuity along the offensive line that we have yeah. had. Um, and then it then it just ended up all falling apart right before the regular season started. I think they've learned a lot about that and just like how that's going to affect their roster construction strategy going forward. Well, I think even right the, the, the thing that stands out for the Bears, it, even with all of the injuries is you had Larry Boren be able to step in, and he was serviceable at left tackle for a couple of weeks. He wasn't great, but he was serviceable. Uh, yeah. you, you had Cody Whitehair be able to, and that wasn't, that wasn't good at all, but slide over to center while Lucas Patrick was out, right? Like, you have those pieces where it never felt like, okay, the offensive line is hopeless mm-hmm. this year. We've got this guy that can slide in and slide in. I wouldn't be surprised to see them attack that in free agency. I think that's something you still need to attack in the draft. I know this isn't a center heavy draft at all but like in that first round to me i'm still looking at left tackle i love braxton i want to see him do well i hope he continues to develop we're having the same conversation on braxton we had last year minus the injury like the injury wasn't a part of the conversation but he's still getting pushed back he's like it's it's the same it's better and maybe that's what you're waiting on maybe braxton has a year three and you're fine with it but I, I think there's a Joe Alt there that can be plug and play, ready to go, um, very much like Darnell Wright is, and I'd be looking at him in the first round. And I think you got to address center later on in the draft and kind of find that Braxton Jones piece that you know is able to go out there and and be a long term center for you. So yeah, you won't find gonna... you won't find a lot of teams though willing to spend. I mean, I covered the Vikings when they drafted Garrett Bradbury in the top twenty uh, yeah. in 2019. Teams don't just don't typically spend high draft capital on the center position. No. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean you can't, but 
again, the two top five draft picks currently right now, the way the season pans out will show you, okay, is one of those top five draft picks going to be a quarterback? If they decide that the quarterbacks are, is already on the roster, then you are in a great position to use one of those draft picks to then trade back to then go get your offensive lineman, maybe your left tackle of the future in the first or second round, and then still be able to get another to get another wide receiver, whether it's Marvin Harrison Jr., whether it's somebody oh, else. Yeah. You can do a lot of those things. And I, I just anybody who says that these next seven games don't matter, it's all about draft positioning. So it's important. about draft positioning, but it's also about figuring out, all right, which of these players who are current starters are not going to be starters next year? And then that dictates what you do in March. Beginning. The most important draft position you have to worry about is the Panthers. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. the only one. Like, I think if, if the bears rattle off three wins out of their next seven and it's, you know, Justin Fields is, is looking like the quarterback of the future and you know, like the team just, wasn't coached well enough or there wasn't enough talent on the defensive end for you to come out away with that's your best case scenario here right and you end up with a a 12th pick instead of a top five pick for the bears pick oh my goodness what are we going to do well carolina doesn't have a lot of wins coming Mm -hmm. on their schedule like i i would be very surprised by that and then to me you're talking about one of the best fleeces of a team you've seen in ages they got bryce young Gave you DJ Moore when they were begging for a, uh, a a number one wide receiver four games into the season. Mm-hmm. You got Darnell right out of it. You might get, I don't know, MHJ or Caleb Williams, I guess, if it works out that way where the quarterback doesn't work. Tyreek Stevenson is in there and a 2025 set. That's one of the best fleeces I've seen in a long time, probably since Mitch. Probably since we traded all that capital for Mitch. And I've been hesitant to, see, to say, like, okay, well, he's won that. Tra- Ryan Poles has won that trade completely. But, like, you know, we're at the halfway point of the season. Bryce Young very well at one point, not this year, but at one point in his career, he can develop into a great quarterback. Oh. They they think they thought he would have been further along by now. I think yeah. it's pretty obvious, but the way that this thing is panning out is showing you, okay, the Bears the Bears look like winners right now. It just it, you know they wish they would I wish they would utilize DJ more more. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think you can really then put the final grade on it when you see what Ryan Poles does with that number one overall pick. Does he flip it into more draft capital? Does he go get his quarterback? To me, it's not a complete grade until you see what he does there. But the hall itself, for what it's panning out to be at the moment, you know, remember they have that 2025 second round pick too. So everybody who's like complaining about them giving up a second round pick for Montez Sweat, remember they have an additional one the following draft. Yeah. No, it's it's I can't in good faith defend Justin for a lot of things and then watch that all 22 and not defend Bryce. Mm-hmm. They're setting him up to die. They're, that offensive system is just like I, I, I thought I had issues with how gets called plays at times. My God, Frank, right? Like what happened? Like, yeah, and it's it, Thomas Brown now. I mean, they made the switch for play caller. Yeah, um, he's their O.C., and I don't, I don't know what their identity is. It was really hard to figure out during the game um, what they were trying to do offensively because, and that's like where I think you have to like when it, when like bringing it back to the Bears. Yeah. Like what growth did they have against like 
I know it was a 16-13 win. They didn't show you much offensively. Defensively, it looks like they took a step in the right direction. But the Panthers' but, offensive line is abysmal. And, like, okay, you're now about to face an offensive line that, like, kept Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack at bay. So, like, good luck. But also, are there things that you can carry over to show, hey, we are growing. Matt yeah. Eberflus, I am coaching the right way. My scheme is working. Or yeah. is it just going to go back to the way it looked in that two streaks where they didn't get have any sacks and could barely get around the quarterback. And is it going to go back to the byproduct of, oh, the reason that happened for you against Washington, the reason that happened for you against the Panthers is because you were playing bad teams, bad offenses. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's, listen, you're going to get – we're going to get all the answers we need real quick here uh, mm -hmm. over this next four weeks of football. And there's going to be some rust on Justin Fields for sure not being out there, but like – if the offense just goes back to looking pedestrian at best, if Luke Getze, you know, like if we're not running the football, if we're not like there, there's going to be a lot of answers that happen over this. I guess technically five weeks because the buy is in there over this next five weeks of football, because you're going up against the toughest part of your schedule right now. And I guess, right. For most teams, you would feel good about getting all of your starters back for this portion of the schedule. But for the Bears, you never know. Uh, anything, uh, any nuggets that we haven't hit on Courtney that you want to leave us with before we get up out of here? You know, uh, the Khalil Herbert one is going to be one to watch. Like they still have to create a roster spot to get him onto the 53. When does that happen? Who is it? Yeah. And I, I, it's, you know, you hope that Deontay Foreman is healthy enough to play. If he's not, then you give him a week of rest, but I just I'm a firm believer that he's done enough to prove he deserves to be a game day active and also have a pretty significant role in this running game, regardless of like how many backs that they have up. I mean, obviously that stuff matters, but he's done too much to say, okay, well, thanks for the four weeks of service. We're going back to Herbert and Roshan Johnson. Like yeah. I hope they I hope they continue to find ways to utilize Deontay Foreman because when you take a look at that Detroit backfield. Um, you know, three players, including yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown, who's a wide receiver, but three players going over 100 yards from scrimmage each, whether it was David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, uh, and St. Brown. Like, there's there's ways to do that, I think, if you're the Bears, to have a versatile dimensional backfield. So hopefully the health of Deontay Foreman will allow you to do that this week and then also just kind of keeping an eye on where and when uh, Cleo Herbert gets onto the roster. Yeah, it, it's going to – is this is this the Valus cut finally coming down? He's been made inactive. Today and... would be the day I think they would do it. I really yeah. do because of game checks that are due for, um, for players for the following week. But I um, – I don't know. We haven't. It, this one will continue to stump me at this point because I just don't see how how you can continue. I mean, he was inactive last week. That's you're paying for you're paying for what on your roster at that point. Yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, what I've been saying all season. You're paying for what on the roster. But hey, uh, it's been the Chicago Bears podcast. We will keep you guys up to date on anything. If any breaking news comes out, you know you'll see this glorious face on that as well. Appreciate you guys for tuning in to show and love. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. As always, for Courtney Cronin, it's your boy Path the Designer. Back at it again. Now stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear down. Peace.